Well, the cold weather's back, everybody. I know. That was a lot more snow than I anticipated getting. They didn't tell us that. And if they would have, they would have been wrong about something else. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter. It's good to see you again this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you, Heather. It's good to see you too. All right. It's good to see all of you. Um, I'm happy to be here. So uh, as we kicked off on Wednesday night, uh, we are in Lent now. Welcome to the season. If you are new to Lent or don't know what that is, I would encourage you to participate and jump in. As Sam said, we just did a podcast episode on it. There's a message posted from Wednesday night on how you can be uh, participating, not just how, but why. Why do we do all of this? Would really love for you to jump in to the Lent season with us. I'm going to refresh the reason we are doing, or or what exactly is Lent? Why does it exist? It exists as a preparation for Easter. That's why we are participating in Lent, and we want to do that as a community and keep our hearts before the Lord. Similarly to the season of Advent that surrounds Christmas and makes that a bigger deal than just one day on the calendar, we want Easter to be bigger than one day on a calendar. It is the apex holiday for us as believers as we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this whole 40 days is about preparing ourselves to celebrate on Easter Sunday, remembering the sufferings and the salvation of the Lord Jesus. Is anybody thankful for the sufferings and the salvation of the Lord Jesus? Amen. For the season of Lent, we are going to be doing a series called Holy. We're going to be talking about holiness. What is holiness? And not just the fact that God himself is holy, but what does it mean for us to be holy? What does it mean for us to be a holy people? I had you open to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read 1 through 14 as we get started this morning. So you can stand with me for the reading of the word of God. First Peter chapter two, verses one through 12. There was kind of one verse that I want to highlight and camp on, but again, why read one when you can read 14, you know? All right. First Peter chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That'll preach. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Has anybody tasted that the Lord is good? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. 
But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. We exalt you as the cornerstone this morning, chosen and precious. And we pray that you would open up our hearts, Holy Spirit to receive your word, pray that you would make us hungry and open and soft to everything that it is that you have to say. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your anointing in this time. I stand on your promise that your word does not return void. That is what we want this morning. We want your precious, living, active word. Thank you. Thank you that our expectation in this time together is that you are speaking, we will hear, and your word will bear fruit in our lives. We pray that you would uh, make us humble before you together. We would not reject your word or stand against it, but that we would, um, yeah, receive. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Thank you that you know each one of us. Thank you that every person in this room is precious to you. Thank you that we have this opportunity to be together and to build one another up in you. Pray, God, that we would know your love for us and we would give your love to one another. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. kind of just want to read that over and over again for the next 30 minutes. Man, (laughs) we're talking about holiness during this season. There's a lot in those 14 verses that we read, and it says some audacious things. It says that we are holy. Would you say that about yourself? I mean, you know you, right? That's like, Left to my own self, not one of the first few words I would choose to just describe myself. It seems like quite a high bar to attain to. Seems a little bit uh, audacious and uh, ambitious to claim for oneself. But God in his living word this morning tells us we are holy. We are holy. What does that mean? 
What does that look like? This morning, we're going to talk about a lot of words, so you're going to want to take notes. And I've kind of, honestly, I'm looking at my notes this morning. I'm like, ah, it just feels like a lot. I don't know. But you're big boys and girls, and we can all handle it. So that's what we're going to do. I want to talk about a few kind of theological terms as we get going to sort of set the stage for how we can hear from the Lord about holiness in this season. One theological word you've probably heard before is the word justification. Justification. We are justified by faith, the Bible tells us. The word justification, what does that mean? To, to put it in just as simple terms as I can and uh, the way that I think really I understand it, I think that is fair. And what goes along with this theme of holiness is that justification is God declaring us holy. That's what it means that you are justified in Jesus Christ by faith. God, through Christ, looks at you and God declares over you, you are holy. Sanctification is another theological word. Sanctification is slightly different than justification. Sanctification is a process. It's a journey. What that is, it is sanctification is God growing us in holiness. Okay, so in, when you are justified by faith, God looks at you and declares that you are holy. So if you are saved this morning, God looks at you. By the grace of Jesus, the Father says, you are holy. And then did you look at your life this week? Did you act like that all the time? No, okay. So we're, we're all being sanctified, which is we are declared holy and we are all in the process of God growing us into that holiness. The word holy, it, it means set apart. It, it is an attribute of God himself. And this is, this is hard to comprehend, and I don't comprehend it completely, Holiness is, is not just like a, a thing. It's like we, you can really only understand holiness by understanding God. Because holiness is not, a, it's not a primarily a behavior. Holiness doesn't just... To be holy doesn't just mean you act perfectly. Uh, God is holy because that's who he is. He didn't like attain holiness by acting perfectly for some duration of time. You see what I'm saying? It's not outside of God. Holiness is something that only exists kind of within our understanding of God. Holiness speaks to the very nature of God. We pray, Jesus teaches us, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. His name is holy. Like the name itself is a holy thing. His, his name is holy. He is holy. It speaks of his nature. So how on earth are we holy? Because the very definition and idea of something being holy is that it is other. It's not a version of something. It is, God is not a different version of us. He is holy. He is something completely other than us. And yet he says we are holy. <laughs> and we have been justified by faith. God declares we are holy. We are in the process of growing in holiness, but only God is holy. What does it mean that we are holy? It, in the same way that God being holy 
doesn't mean just that he acts perfectly. You and I being holy isn't simply speaking of our behavior. It's not simply speaking of doing right all the time. We have read in 1 Peter, if you turn a couple pages, you'll be in 2 Peter verse 1. I mean, chapter 1. Verses 3 through 4. It's going to explain to us that being holy does not just mean that we have achieved perfect behavior. For us to be holy, it means that we have a new nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory. God has called us to His very own glory. I'm not even exactly sure what that means, but cool. To his own glory and excellence, by which he, okay, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. You don't have to understand all this for it to be true. We are justified by faith. God, by faith, he he brings us up into his own glory and excellencies. He grants to us through his promises that you and I have now become partakers of the divine nature. It's not that God has attained holiness and we did too. God himself is holy. And the call for you to be holy is an upward call. It's an upward reality where God is bringing you up. We, sh- we could say up, right? As, as much as heaven is up there. You know what I mean? He, he's calling us up into not just like near him, but he is calling us into his very nature. And then in 1 Peter 2.9 that we read, he says, you are a chosen race. We're trying to put this reality into words here. What does it mean to be holy? It means that we believers are a chosen race. We are a, a royal priesthood. We, the people of faith, are a holy nation. For God to be holy, it means that he is other. And for us to be holy, it means this. We are a people for his own possession. When God told the, his, his people to build the temple and the tabernacle and all of these things, there was all of, these, there was all of this holy furniture and elements and rooms and curtains and all of these holy things. They weren't holy because they were perfect and couldn't have been made any better. They definitely weren't holy because they behaved perfectly. They were holy because they belonged to the Lord. This is what it means for you to be holy. You are not your own. You and we are a people 
for his own possession. When God says we are holy, it is, it is a statement of identity and it is a, it is a statement of status. Our Father in heaven, who is holy, has adopted us to be his children by his own spirit, through his own son. (laughs) It's ridiculous, honestly, but it's true. Holiness is not a behavior, it is an identity, and it is a status. Now, in saying that holiness is not certain behavior, um, it still does look like something, right? <laughs> there is still behavior that coordinates with the identity and status of one being holy. Amen? You are set apart, and you need to act set apart. That is part of being holy. First Peter 2 that we read tells us you are holy. And then verse one says things like, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That's what holiness looks like that. It does look like something. Verse 11, it says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You are holy and it is expected that that looks like something. Verse 12 says, keep your conduct honorable. Don't don't say that you are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and live like a people possessed by the world. That's what he's saying about holiness. Second Peter that we read, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse four, the very end. Uh, so we have become partakers of the divine nature. It says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Your holiness has provided for, for you and for me an escape, an escape out of the corruption of the desire of the, of the flesh. So you are holy, look like it. Put off the old self, the Bible says. Work out your salvation. This is the journey of sanctification. Justification declares you holy. Sanctification is the process of you growing in that holiness. So yes, you are holy. I am holy, and we are expected to grow in it, to act like it, to mature into the holiness that we have been given. It is God who sanctifies us. We do not sanctify ourselves. We cannot achieve holiness on our own, and it does not come from our own strength. But we do participate in sanctification. Okay, we can't achieve it. It doesn't, I can't pull it off, but, but, but I am expected to participate in the growing in holiness. See, we follow and we respond to our Father as He grows us in the identity that He has already given us. Amen? Okay, so there's a new, an, an, another word for you here. Our, our general word that we use to capture 
the reality that we participate in justification and we participate in sanctification is repentance. Repentance. Turning from the way that leads away from God and turning towards the way that leads to God. So, again, for for the sake of this series, we're going to define this word repentance as our participation in holiness. Justification is God declaring us holy. Sanctification is God growing us in holiness. And repentance is our participation in the holiness that he has given us. Our participation in the process of him growing us in our holiness. So all of that is an intro for this message in this series. Because what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks is five elements of repentance. Five parts of the process that we are participating in as God grows us in holiness. And that is not on purpose that it lines up with like the five values and all this. It just happens that way. And there's different lists and all of that, but we're going to stick with five. So the first part of the process The process of repentance, right? Repentance isn't just a moment. It's not just something that happens to you. Repentance is a process. I want to outline for us over these few weeks, what is the process of repentance that we should be expecting to consistently live in because God, our Father, is consistently growing us deeper and wider and higher and longer into the holiness he has given us. Has Has anybody done growing? In the holiness of God. Don't you dare raise your hand. (laughs) Since it is not something that we achieve, it's a reality that God is growing us into. This process is perpetual. The first part of the process that I want to talk about and focus on this morning as we kind of get towards the end of our time already is conviction. Conviction. Conviction, it's, it's, a, it's a essential element of the holy life. It is an essential part of the process of repentance. John 16, verse 8 through 11, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, so God calls us holy. God brings us into the process of growing in that holiness. We participate in that process by uh, all of the elements of repentance. And that first part of repentance that we need to understand is conviction. The first thing we need to understand about conviction is that conviction is one of the expressed actions of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is a move of God. What is it? What is conviction? Essentially, it's God telling you you're wrong. God telling you you're wrong. That's what conviction is. What you're doing, want to do, think you should do, know you shouldn't do, but are doing it anyways, or 
thing you're unaware of, whatever, you are colliding with the holy. And you're the one that's supposed to be reshaped. <clears throat> Conviction can be contrasted with condemnation. This is important. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts you. That, that means that you need to understand that the Holy Spirit does tell you you are wrong. God does sound like that. But also, Romans tells us there is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. So God convicts us and that's a good thing. And he doesn't condemn us because condemnation is a bad thing. Okay, so, but, but he still tells us we're wrong. That's confusing. And we don't really understand this. And frankly, us humans never really have understood this. And uh, I'm going to prove it to you real quick. Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> Forgot to bookmark this one. Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The garden, man, woman, creation, don't eat the fruit, they eat the fruit. Genesis 3, 9 and 10. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Conviction is God searching Adam out. Yes, Something's been wrong, but God searches him out. Condemnation is where Adam ran to. I need to go hide myself. There, he, he, he sinned, and there was conviction in light, in the light of the holy God. There was conviction in the light of the holy God, but condemnation drove him to hide behind the trees. Conviction is from God our Father. Condemnation is from the devil, our accuser. So how do you know the difference? Well, both tell you you're guilty. Read the Bible. God is not at all shy about making our guilt concerning sin crystal clear. I wanted to give a few examples, but I honestly got overwhelmed thinking about it. <laughs> like, you can pretty much pick a chapter. Just open to one of them, and you're going to be reminded that you, yes, you, you have indeed sinned. We see heavy conviction in Psalm 54, verses 3 and 4. David says, For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's some deep conviction. That is some deep conviction. I am wrong and you are super right about how wrong I am. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, the fact that God is kind it does not change the fact that you are guilty. You are guilty. 
The difference is that conviction brings hope and condemnation brings despair. Genesis 3, 10 and 11. God says, where are you? He's calling out to Adam to come near. It is God who returns to the garden. It is not Adam who runs to the presence of God. Come on, people. Amen. Let's go. Where are you? And then who, who told you you were naked? God knew the whole time he was naked. But God had it covered in himself. And then verse 21 in Genesis chapter 3, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. There was hope in the conviction. Yes, there was sin. Yes, it contrasted with the holiness of God. But God had it covered. And there was hope in his conviction. Condemnation brings despair. This is verse 10 of Genesis chapter 3. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, both condemnation and conviction are telling you that you are guilty. Condemnation brings despair, but conviction comes with hope. That's how you can tell the difference. You also need to understand about both conviction and condemnation that they are both telling you who you are. Condemnation is accusing you that you are a child of disobedience, and the accuser is trying to drag you down into that slavery because that's who you are. Of course you did that. What else would you do? Of course you sinned. You are, after all, a sinner. Conviction is reminding you that you are a child of God. And in it, God is calling you upward into that calling. Yes, you sinned. But you are a child of God. Come up. Come up into that. Conviction is God reminding you that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So why did you do that? Condemnation is the enemy accusing you of being too far beyond all that other stuff that God's trying to call you up into. See, when God convicts you of your sin, he is making clear to you, yes, that you are wrong, you have sinned, and you have fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to know that it is his mercy that he would do that for us. It is his mercy that he would make these things clear to us. My friends, we talk about this often, and let us not forget that we will be judged for the life that we live. We will be judged for what we do. We will give account for our lives. Conviction is the merciful gift of the Holy Spirit that God would judge us now. When you experience the judgment of God now, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you are being invited to exchange something of no value for something of eternal value. You are being invited into eternal reward instead of temporal reward. What is happening is that your father who sees in secret has indeed seen in secret. And he is leading you into his mercy, into his grace, into his kingdom, into his presence, and into his eternal reward.
Conviction is the mercy of God. Because it is the upward call of God out of unrighteousness and slavery to sin and into who he has made you to be as his child. You are a child of God. You are holy. You are justified. You are free. You are new. And when God convicts you, he's teaching you to live like all of that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 14. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. The one holy God wants to share his holiness with you. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. In our series last year called Come Holy Spirit, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the love of God. He is the love of God in the same sense that Jesus is the word of God. And that means that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is his love. The discipline of the Holy Spirit is his love. The rebuke of the Holy Spirit is his love. His declaration of your guilt to you is his love. His exposure that hurts so bad and is so uncomfortable at the time when you are falling short is his love. Therefore, do not listen to the accuser. Reject the despair of condemnation. And by the grace of God, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees Make straight paths for your feet 
so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. As the Holy Spirit convicts you, he is enabling you to live at peace with everyone. He is making you holy. And without that holiness, no one can see the Lord. God has said that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we are remembering that salvation over this Lent season. We are remembering the suffering that purchased that identity and that status for us. And as his children, he is encouraging us to understand and embrace his merciful conviction. He is not rejecting us because we can't live like it. He is fathering us so that we do live like it. I want you to stand as we end our time together. Our prayer team is going to be available here to pray for you if you need prayer for anything before you leave church this morning. I'm going to pray for us as we worship and respond to the Lord. We do pray, come Holy Spirit. We celebrate you and we thank you for who you are and for who you've made us to be. Over these 40 days and even in this moment right now, we confess with faith that we believe that you have made us partakers of your divine nature and we ask with fear and trembling, honestly, but with hope and humility, Lord, would you come and shape us more into your image. We trust you. Come and lead us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.